privilege to be up here today. If you don't know me, my name is Mary Getz, and I serve as a ministry leader here at Crestmont. I am so grateful for John Jordan and his gifting in worship. Uh, when I was preparing for this sermon, he asked if I had any suggestions for songs, and I sent him some, and he used none of them. And I am grateful because what he chose was so much better. <laughs> and I appreciate the worship that you led us in today, John, so thank you very much. Um, I would be a terrible worship leader. I have been really blessed in preparing this message. Um, it's been a personal worship service for me when I have looked at this psalm. And the Lord has affirmed today from some people that he may have something for you. Um, so if I am so bold to say, um, prepare your hearts uh, for what the Lord may be saying, not through me, but through his word. We're going to explore a promise that is so deeply um, connected to my heart, and I pray that you can connect with it as well. Uh, today, we are reading from Psalm 34. Um, if you would join me in standing as we read Psalm 34, in honor of the Lord's word. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. You may be seated. At first glance, I was appreciative of the psalm for the posture that it brought me in because it immediately calls us to worship God. Um, and then I loved that it talked of being rescued and things that my heart longed of God and has experienced of God. But then I had the privilege of digging a little deeper and finding out that when I understood the context of this passage, the floodgates opened for the hope that it provides. Um, the people that the promise in this passage covers is all people who seek God. No one is disqualified from the promise that is found in this psalm. And that is such a hope for me to know this isn't just someone versed in understanding God's word by memory. This isn't someone who's lived a perfect life. This is from someone who is in the midst of devastating trials, yet he can praise him and he can declare God as his deliverer. That brings the floodgates of hope just opened when I read that. So first thing to note in this passage is it is an acrostic or alphabetical passage, which means 
every line is a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. This was often used to help people memorize the passage. So the psalmist in this instance is saying, listen, this is something I want you to commit to your heart. I want to write it in such a way that when you are in the midst of A, B, or C, that these words come into your mind, that you can have them in your heart and they can be brought to memory regardless of your circumstance. So in isolation, without understanding that, it's a great psalm. But when you start to see the heart behind the psalm, it's a life and hope-giving psalm. Uh, the inscription here um, says that this was written by David when he pretended to be insane uh, in, before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. David, in, right before penning this psalm, is in the midst of his flight from Saul. He literally has thousands of people seeking his death. He has sought refuge in an enemy kingdom. So he first he fools a priest and tells him, oh, the king has sent me to get weapons. This is, this is the mission I'm supposed to be on. So he lies. Then he runs to the Philistine, you know, Goliath's people, and seeks refuge there. He realizes when he's in their court that they're not going to welcome him in just because he's an enemy of Saul because they start to say, this is David. This is the guy who, you know, Saul kills thousands, David kills ten thousands. So he realizes, oh no, I have not sought refuge in the right place. And in that fear, he pretends to be insane so that they drive him away. This is the backdrop for this psalm. Not the wonderful man after God's own heart we think of. Someone whose path to this point has been trailed with deception and deceit. Now, don't get me wrong. David's story up to this point is this balance of doing and making choices that honored God, but then also choosing things out of his fear. Again and again in the Psalms, these decisions were made out of his fear. He's afraid in this court, so he pretends to be insane and leaves. This is the path that he's in as the backdrop of the psalm. That's a little difficult to chew on. <laughs> no, not for me either. Uh, a little difficult to chew on in studying this because this is not someone who's done an amazing thing for the Lord and chooses to praise the Lord. This is someone so intimately familiar with what it looks like to choose his own means other than God's means to deliver himself. And because of that, He's able to say, oh God, when I choose you, that is when I'm delivered. I was able to get myself out of this situation, but I know how much more you can deliver me because of what you've done in my life before. What um, I find myself connecting with David in this passage a lot, because when I look back at my life, I can see instances where I've, I grew up in the church. I've followed Jesus. I know the stories. But it is marked so clearly with times in my fear, in my anxiety, in my misunderstanding that I have chosen to try and use my own means to get me out of situations. And oh, how faulty that has always been. 
but my heart is also very closely connected to a God who was still there and who still met me when I chose to use him as my rescuer. Um, Verses 1 through 3 are strictly David choosing to praise God. He's saying, this is who God is. This is what he does. Rejoice in who he is. So he's drawing the reader, let us worship God. In the midst of the circumstances he is in, he says, I will extort the Lord at all times. Now, we know this means that David isn't standing there 24-7 worshiping God, but he is choosing to interweave worship of the Lord into his life, regardless of the circumstance he's in. He's saying, I am choosing to worship you as I walk through this. David's conflict with Saul is not over when he's done writing this psalm. He is in the midst of it, yet he stops and says, I will worship God at all times. He's calling those who are afflicted, those who may be in similar circumstances, come and worship this God who has delivered me. And he is saying he is good. Oh, I skipped. There we go. Okay. (laughs) Now, he says, I'm worshiping this God. Here's why. My personal testimony to you of why I can worship God. He tells us that his heart is committed to praising because of what God has done in his life. Not at one time does he deny his fear. There are psalms throughout where David acknowledges that he had a fear of man. Yet, when he switched and chose to fear God, was he, was he experienced deliverance. So at no time does he deny that he has been in the wrong, that he has lied, that he has deceived, that he has used his own means. Yet, he is saying, God still delivered me. When I made that choice to turn back to him after running so far in this direction, when I made that choice to turn back, he delivered me. That's why I praise him today. He also reveals that he... Those who see the Lord, who seek him, what they receive is dignity and protection. It says those who seek the Lord, their faces are radiant. So in in my understanding of my own sin, in looking back and knowing everything that I've done that has hurt the heart of the Lord, I will not fear seeking him because when I go there, he is not going to shame me. He's going to give me dignity, and he's going to deliver me. David is saying, you will find dignity, and you will shine when you seek the Lord. Shame is not in this scenario. There is deliverance for us. I can remember so intimately a time in my life when I sought after God for my healing, And it was intense. I can remember a time of worship at the Celebration Chapel on Franklin Avenue, clinging to my Bible, everyone singing, clinging to my Bible and just saying, heal me, heal me, heal me, heal me, heal me, over and over and over again. Heal me, heal me, heal me. It's all I wanted. I wanted God to heal me. But simultaneously, there's an area of my life where I said, God, let's not go there yet. I'm not ready to seek you there because I'm afraid of you seeing it like God didn't see it. 
I was, afraid, I was afraid because the enemy told me I would experience shame. I wanted God to meet me in this place of healing, but oh my goodness, I did not want him to meet me in my sin. That was, that was too much. I couldn't handle that. But David is saying, he delivered me in spite of it. I was not shamed. The sin that I gave over to him did not give me shame. It gave me freedom. He delivered me. The Lord's response to our seeking to him is freedom and security. And he will cast out your fear. There's a beautiful psalm um, that is paired with understanding this psalm, Psalm 56, that talks about the Lord delivering David from fear. He said, I was so consumed by my fear of what was going to happen to me, how I was going to be delivered, what the Lord was doing in my life, but he delivered from me, me from that and replaced it with a fear of him. The angel of the Lord encampeth round them that fear him and delivereth them. So all this time when I was seeking God and holding on to my Bible going, heal me, heal me, heal me, heal me, but don't go there. God was right next to me saying, oh, let me go there. Let me free you. Let me be your healer and your deliverer. That is what I want to do. Seek me and you will lack no good thing. The proper response of us to God in Scripture is called the fear of the Lord. And it's not, uh, oh my goodness, what is God going to do? But rather, it's understanding who he is, his promises for us, and saying, oh God, I'm not worthy of any of it, but I will seek you for it because you are good. Fear of God is used the same as following God. In Scripture, someone who follows God was often referred to as someone who feared the Lord. So when we position ourselves, David is saying, position yourself rightly before God, and you will experience the fullness of his promises for you. It is not in the push. It is not in the standing in that worship service going, heal me, heal me, heal me, heal me, heal me waiting for me to say it enough times so that God responded. It was rather in simply positioning myself to say, God, this is what you promise, so this is what I ask of you. You are holy and you are healer. It was not in my effort, thank goodness, because my effort comes up short every single time I pursue God. But it was in simply positioning myself to receive it. Psalm 25, 14 said that the Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known. When we position ourselves in fear of the Lord, he meets us. He meets us there. So now we transition to verses 8 through 10. David has said, I will worship the, God, the Lord God at all times. This is my testimony of deliverance. This is why I can worship. He has done this for me. And then he holds this out to those he is speaking to. He's saying, this is for you too. David doesn't want to hold it onto it for himself and call it a day. David says, oh, friends, listen to what God has for you. It is for you too. This deliverance is not because of who I was, but because of who God is. 
So, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. I love the imagery of taste. It says just taste. If you can just taste a little bit of the goodness of God when you seek him, oh, the goodness of God that follows. I, he's, he's calling us. He's holding out the promises of God and calling us to taste of them. David wants this for the people of Israel. So this final portion of that psalm that we're looking at, he's holding out his hand with this promise. He's saying, God did this for me. He can do this for you. Verse 9 says, Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. He's saying, here's a promise. God says, if you fear me, you will not lack anything. The lions described in this passage, there's actually a lot of controversy in interpreting this passage, I found out. But the lions in this passage, some interpret them to be literal lions, which they, they would have been very familiar with lions hunting, going out, ferocious. The picture I get in my head is the lion from The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> And the song that he sings, which I will not sing for you, because um, that would not be good. Um, but I'm the king of the forest, and he's supposed to be this ferocious thing, yet we all know the end of his song. He lacked a little bit of courage. <laughs> so when we interpret it um, this way, these kings of the forest, these fierce, ferocious hunters, people who could, uh, animals who could go out and kill their prey in an instant, he's saying, they still go hungry. They still lack. These lions who are so great, they still have ribs showing sometimes. They don't always get everything that they need. Other people interpret it as um, a character of individuals who are powerful, rich, who are in places of power, who may uh, seek to take advantage of those around them for their own means. Either way that you interpret it, David's message is the same. They still lack. They're still striving to do something on their own, and they're coming up short. And he's saying, they will come up short, but when you seek God, you will not come up short. And that is a promise that he wants to offer to you. He's saying, I am in the fight and the flight of my life right now, but I know if I seek God, I won't lack any good thing. Seeking. I love this idea of seeking. Um, it talks about treading, of a constant pursuit, of seeking to know, understand more, question more, understand who is God. I get this image of um, like a carpet, like a beautiful carpet, so not this one, a beautiful carpet, ornate, ornate designs. It's like red in my head. Um, beautiful designs all around, but right in the middle of it is just this gray path where most of the designs are gone. Um, maybe you're seeing a little bit of the floor through the carpet because someone has sought and gone there again and again and again and again and walked back and forth and been like, Lord, I need you. Lord, I want you. I need to understand. I need you as my healer. I need you as my provider. And they walk back and forth and back and forth because they are the ones that seek the Lord. And the Lord says, you, the one who made that mark in that carpet, you won't lack any good thing. 
One theologian states that in this promise, there is no reserve. Nothing is held back. There is a wide field open before us. A wide door is open, and no man can shut it. This promise says, the burden on you is to seek me, to wear that line in that carpet so deep. That is the burden on you. The burden to provide is on me, and I am provider. Thank God that the burden is on him, because I come up short every time. There has been many times in my life when I have presented to God this perfectly packaged plan for my life. Details, outlines. God, look at this. Isn't this wonderful for me? This is a good thing for me. And I've had a door slammed in my face. So hard. Hard that I couldn't help but weep when this plan was put before God. But how much greater were his plans for me in that time? There, there are memories in my mind right now of those times. And I can look back and I can say that door was slammed so hard and my heart grieved that because I thought it was so good. But God, who is the creator and author of everything, who knit me in my mother's womb, who knows every hair on my head, said, that's not good. You won't lack in this season. Even when this door is closed, seek me and you won't lack. So I put my trust in the Lord and I declare, Lord, I no longer define what is good, but I seek you because you are the one that gives good things. I no longer present to you my perfect plans because, oh man, they're usually so bad in the end. Even when they seem good, yours are so much greater. So what is that for us? It's a declaration that the time for us is to seek and that the time is now. Um, in our wanting and in our waiting and in our not understanding, the Lord is calling. He's holding out this psalm like David is holding out this psalm saying, seek me. I've promised to protect you and to provide for you. Seek me. It's so very clear in Scripture that the life of a follower of Jesus is one who continually pursues God. Um, but the promise to that seeker is that they will be safe and secure. Not that they will have everything that they've imagined, but I am safe and I am secure in who God is. So my first point is I believe, so I seek. The Lord has revealed himself to us um, in creation, in his word, and he has told us to seek him. Uh, oftentimes, I go, okay, okay, if I'm going to seek God, that means I'm going to wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning, I'm going to pull out my Bible, I'm going to journal, and I'm going to read this entire book every morning at 5 o'clock in the morning. That is what God is calling me to do. Maybe. Maybe not. How often do I fail at that? Spurgeon says that we cannot make a mistake of thinking that we are seeking God who is far away from us. That what God is asking us is that our effort will like somehow pull him closer to us. If I just pray again, if I just sit down with my Bible again, I'm slowly pulling God closer to me and eventually he'll be right here and my seeking is done. No, he says that God is 
so close to us in our seeking. He sought us first. He put us in the position to even seek him. It's after one who is so near to us, who delights in pouring himself out to us. Um, He uses the picture of a child who's standing next to their mother, like at her skirts. He said the journey in seeking God is as close as that child looking up and seeing their mother, holding onto the skirt and looking up and seeing her face. That is the nearness of God to those who seek him. It is a much shorter search than we make oftentimes to seek God. And friends, I, I know the conflict that can exist in our heart because I'm so familiar with that time where I just asked God for healing for so long. That, that moment in that worship service where I was saying, heal me, heal me, heal me, that was over a decade of that same prayer coming from my heart of seeking God in that place for over a decade. So I'm not saying that at times we don't feel as though we're walking in wilderness, waiting to hear. What I'm saying is there is not a burden for us to bring God close. The burden is to wear that spot in the carpet again and again and again. And the moment after I prayed that prayer in the worship service, I prayed it again, and I sought the Lord. How often have we tread that path? Has the ground beneath us begun to shift? Has there been a path made because of our pursuit of God? Is there a spot on our chair in the living room where we pray, where you can see the stuffing because you've sought him again and again? Is that rug worn down? This is the picture of the follower of Christ. And David is saying, do not lose hope. In this pursuit, I am there, and in this pursuit, you are safe, and in this pursuit, you will not lack anything. What you seek may be far off. What you seek may seem impossible, but in your seeking of me, you are safe, and this promise is for you. Maybe you're further in your path of seeking God. Maybe you've experienced an amazing encounter with him. Maybe you've experienced healing. Maybe you've seen God work in miraculous ways. And you've seen the goodness of God. Friends, that leads us to my second point, which is I experience, so I seek. My points are really simple today. (laughs) Um, Because when I experience God... I don't fold my hands in my lap and say, cool, thank you, God, I'm done. I sought you, I found you, and my story is over. He says, oh, no, and this is where we find David. David says, oh, no, I experienced the miraculous from God. I experienced him delivering me, and now my heart longs even more to understand him. My heart wants to know this God who did this good thing, this God who healed this person at the front of the church, this God who provided for me when nothing else else seemed like it would come through. Our heart is conditioned when we meet God that it just stirs within us to know him more. So then I just need to buy a new rug because I've encountered him and my heart is spurred to seek him more. So when we experience the goodness of God, Now David says, oh, you're invited to worship him with me. You're invited to seek him even more and say, oh my goodness, 
Your goodness, God, was so good, let me taste it again. Let me see it again. Let me understand more of what it is. It ignites within us a fire to understand more. It's not a burden. It's a natural reaction of our heart to meeting God and his goodness. When I experience God as healer, whether personally or in community, as provider, as sustainer, my heart cries for more. This is what David's heart wants for himself and for those he's speaking to. I seek to glorify him because I have found him. Um, he is so, so good to me, and I want to meet him again. In my journey, from that worship service of him as my healer, um, by the grace of God, I was healed. Um, and many in this uh, congregation, in this body, walked that journey with me very intimately and know what it was like to cry out to God again and again and to seek him, to not see healing and continue to seek him and continue to say, you're my healer. I know it, I know it, I know it, even in the absence of my healing. But praise God, I declare him as healer over my body fully from that which I was praying for. I have experienced that here. So I join David in saying, oh God, I've experienced it. And I just want more. I want to know you more. Um, that is what my heart longed for for years, and you met me there? Oh, Lord, there's got to be more for me here. I seek to glorify him because of that. But what happens for us then when we seek God we seek him and we seek him and we seek him. And that may be where you are today, where your heart is longing to hear more, to hear from him just that first time, to see him act just that first time in your life because you continue to learn his goodness and you continue to learn his promises and you study the word and you seek him and you're wearing that mark in your carpet and you have yet to hear. The Lord is continuing to draw you to seek. Maybe you're in the point where you've experienced it and your heart longs for more. Praise God for that because your testimony will be what encourages those who are seeking to continue to seek. Um, I can't tell you how many times I had to sit in worship services and ride the faith of my brothers and sisters in Christ because I had yet to see him deliver me, yet I knew he was doing something here. I knew, I saw it. I could see the Holy Spirit moving and I knew it. So I say, God, I don't have it yet, but I'm going to ride the faith of my brothers and sisters because you are here, and I don't doubt that. There's another side of that experiencing God, and that leads to my last point, which is also my first point. <laughs> I believe, so I seek. Uh, there's a part of the journey in seeking God um, where we experience him. But then there's a, there can be another side to victory that we encounter, um, whether it be setback in the victory that we've experienced or a season of wilderness after a season of hearing so much from the Lord. Um, I remember there was a season where I came to the church and I met with Steve and I said, oh, man, I'm hearing so much from the Lord. It's just like, wildfire. 
And a few short weeks after, I was like tapping on the microphone like, hey, God, I haven't heard from you in a while. I'd like to hear some answers to some prayers. <laughs> there are seasons of wilderness. There are times when we encounter God and he is so faithful to heal and then illness comes back. What do we do in that instance? What do I do when my testimony that was built on this promise of God that came through for me, when I was healed and then my illness is back, when I heard from him so clearly and my path was set before me so clearly and then it seems blurry or it seems as if something's in my way, what do I do? Friends, I think it's bold to say it, but please know that it's not empty and it's coming from the promise in this scripture, not from me that the Lord is calling you to seek him still. He is calling you to seek him, to look back. David says, this is what he did for me. I'm still running from Saul, but I'm going to continue to seek him. In the pain of the illness that comes back, he's saying, seek me. And friends, this, this is a part of my healing story too. It came back. And I said, God, why, why would you do that to me? Why would you bring it back? This has been a testimony for you. This has been something you have used to encourage people to understand you better. Why is it back? And I sought him. And the Lord continued to teach me his goodness. And the Lord continued to show me a fuller picture of who he was. Friends, he is so good. He is so good when you are seeking and you are tugging at the robes of your mother's cloak. He is so good when he is sitting next to you and you are dancing for joy for what he has done. And he is so close when you are saying, God, why? Why do I have to deal with this again? Why is this back in my life? Why am I falling back into those ways? He says, oh, I am so close. Seek me. And when you're so tired of seeking me, lean on your brothers and sisters who are seeking me because I am here, and my promise to you is this. I have not laid out for you the trajectory of your journey. I have not laid out for you a due date for when your healing will occur. But what I have laid out to you is this promise, that you will lack no good thing when you seek me. You will be safe and secure. And I rest in that promise, not in my understanding but in what God calls me to do, and my God calls me to seek him on the other side of victory. In the questioning, in the wrestling with him, the Lord calls me to continue to seek him. And all he asks of me is to do that. Uh, in Christ, I can be fully satisfied. David's life from this psalm, I, he's, he's hiding in caves. His friends are outlaws. He is still pursued, even though he is anointed as king, he is still pursued by Saul. And yet he chooses to seek the Lord and pen this psalm. I choose that in the cave of my enemies, in the absence of my understanding, that I will seek the Lord. It's not an empty promise, but an assurance of his responsible care for you. Um, there's this beautiful portion of Spurgeon's sermon on this passage. Uh, it made me cry last time I read it. 
I hope I don't cry again because I don't want to cry in front of you guys. Um, but it speaks of the journey of the seeker and says, you may take the youngest child of God, you little boy, 10 years old, who has just been baptized and received into the church. Ask, what is he doing? Seeking the Lord. Follow him till he becomes a middle-aged man with all the cares of life about him. Ask what he is doing then. Still he answers, seeking the Lord. Put a few gray hairs upon his head and let him know that half a century has gone. Again, ask what he is doing, seeking the Lord. Then make his head all frosty with the winters of old age and ask him the same question, and he will still reply, seeking the Lord. Take away those hairs until the head is entirely bald and the man is trembling on the grave. What is he doing then? Seeking the Lord. As long as we are in this body, whatever our condition, our position, this will ever apply to us, that they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Friends, I am not saying that in seeking the Lord, we will not experience trial, because Scripture is very clear that the righteous experience trials. I'm not saying that your circumstances are going to be ideal, that you will be away from the struggles of this life and the consequences of sin. But what I am saying is that this promise says that in the seeking of God, throughout the entirety of your life, you are safe and secure in him. He will not leave you lacking. So in the joy of seeking the Lord, let us seek more. And in the painful places where all we can do is seek the Lord, I encourage you to seek him more. Because he is good, and it is in that place that he seeks to envelop us. He is saying, come to me regardless of your circumstance, and I will protect you and provide for you. I am blessed to look back on my healing story and still declare him as healer. But I have not stopped pursuing him. And I won't stop because I have seen what it looks like to pursue him in the lowest of lows when I have yet to hear from him. And I've seen what it looks like to pursue him, to tell him, oh God, thank you so much. You answered me. Thank you. You answered me for what I asked for. Thank you. And I, I know what it's like to seek him and go, why, God? I don't understand, but I will seek you because that is where I'm safe. Friends, I don't know where you are in your journey with the Lord. If you are that boy of 10 who is still longing to hear from God for the first time, if you are along in your journey and you've experienced him and the hunger within you is deep to know more, where you're like David saying, oh, God, give me more so I can just give it to others, or if you're in that place of setback where God has answered and now you don't hear and your only resolution is to seek him, It's bold to say, but I believe the Lord is saying it, seek him. It is not empty. It is not an empty promise. It is not a Christian throwaway. 
It is God wanting you to receive his promise for you. Seek him and you will lack no good thing.